The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyad, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Uh, joining me via is Dennis Dick, the Triple D trader here on uh, Twitter. Uh, Dennis, introduce yourself to the audience. Who are you? What's your background? How'd you get involved in interested in markets? And what are you doing currently? Uh, been involved in the markets for about 26 years here now. Started in university, 1999. I graduated from university, joined proprietary trading firm Bright Trading. Um, trade, day trading basically full time from the Detroit office. And I have been doing that ever since, for the most part. I left Bright Trading actually last year. I was with them for 22 years, and I left them just to start my own trading firm, which is Triple D Trading. Has trading evolved or changed over uh, your career in ways that make it easier uh, to identify inefficiencies or identify anomalies, or has the whole world gotten more efficient? No, it's definitely got more efficient, and... um, the, the markets have continued to change. Market structure has changed uh, very dramatically since I started with Bright Trading back in 1999. So when I started in 1999, um, you got instantaneous execution on NASDAQ, but actually on the NYSE, it took eight seconds to get an execution back. And we had direct access. So we basically uh, were connected directly with the specialists on the floor um, through, our, through our trading platform. We'd send an order, a specialist on the floor would accept the order, give us a confirmation back, and that took a total process of eight seconds. So now, obviously, we're now in instantaneous execution. Market structure has changed. For the most part, when I started in 1999, I was a market maker. So just basically trying to capture spreads, playing you know short-term market inefficiencies, but more, more market-making type styles where I'm on the bid, I'm on the offer, just trying to capture the spread. That has changed over the years. High-frequency traders have come in, like Citadel and Virtue, and have pretty much pushed the majority of other market makers out of the space. So us at Bright Trading have had to adapt over the years. We went from playing market-making, straight-up arbitrage styles to more statistical arbitrage, where we're trying to find relative inefficiencies, relative mispricings between securities. So and and these and these mispricings can be, you know, short term fractions of a second or, you know, just seconds. But it also we're talking about, you know, relative pricing inefficiency that can last days or weeks. So basically at Bright Trading, we were short term market makers, you know, with a time horizon in seconds. Most of our traders have now extended that time horizon to adapt to the competition where a lot of our traders are true day traders now where they're sometimes holding stocks overnight 
from seconds to minutes or hours. I would say the majority of our traders still are day traders where they're buying and selling during the same day, but definitely moved or extended our time horizon out to compete uh, so we don't compete directly with those high-frequency traders. Let's talk about um, trading styles. You mentioned spread trading. I tend to not uh, do a lot of kind of stat arb type of spaces, but yeah. lay it for the audience what exactly spread trading is and why it's sort of a really unique way of, of trying to generate profits. Well, so if you go back to the market making where you're just trying to capture the spread, um, you know, this is what the business of Citadel and Virtue, and obviously we've got some other market makers as well, but they're probably two of your biggest retail market makers. When you send an order from your account at Robinhood, it typically goes to what is called a wholesaler, which is Citadel or Virtue, and they take the other side. So they're just basically trying to capture the spread. You know, if currently, if I just bring up, you know, if you look at, you know, your most liquid stocks like Apple, they've tr- typically trade with a one cent spread. Some of your mid caps trade with a little wider spread. So, you know, when you're trying to capture the spread, you're sitting on the bid and the ask. It typically doesn't work for retailer or for slower participants anymore for the simple reason is the adverse selection risk which is the risk of your order getting picked off by a more informed participant is too high. So basically, you know, when you see S&P futures start ticking up, we're not fast enough to move those orders anymore to adjust for the movement um, in the S&P. You know, when I started 1999, we were fast. We're not fast enough anymore. And that's why, you know, you've adjusted. But, you know, when you're trading for the spread, you're just basically trying to send on the bid, send on the offer, capture the spread. And that's what Citadel and Virtue, that's how they make the majority of their money all day is just capturing that spread. They're fast. They're adjusting. And I mean, as a market maker, you're kind of like picking up, you know, the pennies in front of a bulldozer. So you've got to be able to move fast when the market moves. And that's the advantage is that they're obviously very quick, very quick to adjust. That means they're, you know, the, you know, the milliseconds you're talking. So um, it's, it's very fast. And obviously the human involvement in market making is now gone. You can just look at the NYSE floor they're not sitting down there. Humans trading it anymore. It's all done by machines. So, so that, but that's okay. It's just you know the, the structure has changed. So the game has changed. So what you have to do as you know as a human trader, extend your time horizon to you know a little bit longer than looking to you know capture the spread. I don't think you can compete with the citadels and the virtues in the market making game. So you've got to have a little longer time horizon. You're not entering trades for a penny or two pennies. It's okay to still day trade, though. Like, there's still setups, there's still moves. But for the most part, consider the spread a cost. It used to be something we could pick up, the difference between the bid and the ask. Now it's more of a cost. So I've actually moved from liquidity providing, where I was a market maker, to liquidity taking, where I actually, when I want to get in a trade, I lift the offer or I hit the bid. I don't want to miss the trade to save a penny. Yeah, and I feel like there's so much focus on um, the citadels of the world and this idea that there's this unfair advantage because they're playing these these spreads and to your point it's like all right you're not going to be able to compete against them they've got different economic interests than you know traders doing individual stocks so uh, while you want to level the playing field the reality is a lot of the kind of focus on the efficiency of markets may not be as important as as people would argue you you can never compete with you're never going to be able to compete with citadel or virtue not anymore. You're not going to compete in, this, in the speed game. So there's no point to trying. So what I've, I tell our traders, and I've done a lot of education over the years of bright trading, I tell our newer traders, once you pay the spread, like you go up there, and you don't always have to pay the full spread. Um, you know, if you're a 100 share trader, if you're a small trader, and a lot of our retail and model listing audience probably is a small trader, you're trading under three, four or 500 shares. You know, and you're trading a stock like Apple, don't worry about like sitting and waiting for the stock to come to you. If you want to get in, 
you know, just lift the offer. Don't wait and try to save a penny. Because if you save the penny and you miss the trade, it's the opportunity cost of that missed execution is much higher than, you know, that penny that you might save every once in a while. So basically what I just tell our new traders is once you're paying the spread, that's basically the Citadel cost or the Virtue cost or, you know, and I'm not just picking on them. There's lots of other high frequency traders as well. They're just two of the big ones. Um, once you pay the spread, you kind of, you know, they're, they're, you've taken them out of the game to a certain extent. You know, they're, they're, that's their fee. It's the high frequency trading fee really is what it is. And that's the spread. So once the spread, you know, is gone, there's no like a lot of people believe, you know, oh, they're tracking your order and they're trying to figure it all out. And there may be some machines trying to game all that. But for the most part, the most part, they're in it for the spread. They're in this game. They're buying orders from retail firms to obviously be able to transact on the bid and transact on the offer more easily. Because we, you know, have to put our orders out there to get down on the bid. Where if you're taking the other side of retail order flow, you can simply match the bids. So it just gives them you know, the chance to obviously get in and, and capture that spread more easily. So the game is not going to change. Rules might change to a certain extent. They're talking we're going to have some market structure changes coming in the second half of this year where they may actually tighten the spread on some stocks. They actually might go to fractions of a cent sub pennies for certain stocks too. So there is going to be some changes coming in the second half. Uh, but for the most part, as a retail trader, you don't have to worry about that stuff. I would just say don't miss a trade to save yourself a penny or two. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Let's talk about sort of non-execution-based type of uh, inefficiencies, um, uh, really more around, again, around sort of pairs trading stat arb. Um, yeah. A lot of these market neutral type of strategies, I think, uh, really came out of favor, right? As QE and ZERP and everything was purely about beta going up and to the right. Um, do you find that the historical alpha that some of these dollar neutral type of strategies uh, had that that might be coming back into play? That some of these historical sort of differentials that some of these uh, hedge funds play off of uh, might become more profitable again because we're off the zero bound. Absolutely. I mean, in 2020, I found myself even adapting, saying, well, I just buy stocks, hold them for a few days and then go higher. You buy the dip and it goes back higher. It was just a different type of a market. So as traders, we always have to be adapting to, you know, our current environment. And, you know, I think the bear market of 2021 and 2022 was an eye opener for a number of newer players who were coming in and just thought, oh, you buy stocks, they pull back. That's OK. You buy a bit more and eventually it goes back higher. So, I mean, now, you know, you're getting into real markets, real trading markets. 2020 wasn't a real market. It was just, you know, relentless bull market. Everybody's sitting at home, you know, with the lockdowns and learning to play stocks. And the market was a beneficiary of that. But now as we look, we, you know, we're in a, we're in a different market. We're in a trader's environment where stocks don't go straight up. They don't even go straight down. They seem to just go sideways right now. So identifying, at least on the U.S. markets. So, you know, first identifying what kind of market you're in is usually my first, you know, thing that I'm trying to do if I'm trying to trade. And, and we're in a sideways market. So market neutral strategies are working better. 
What market neutral trading is, it's just equal longs and equal shorts. I trade market neutral almost every single day. I have a long-term portfolio that is long only, but on my day trading account, my regular account, that was always at Bright Trading and now with Triple D Trading, that is um, market neutral, meaning I try to have equal longs and equal shorts. Sometimes I will beta hedge, but for the most part, I'm just dollar hedging. So if I got a million dollars worth of longs, I've probably got a million dollars worth of shorts. Let's talk about some of the details on that real quick. So, uh, yeah, I think the, the classic example is, you know, go long Ford and short GM, right? Sort of similar companies and try to play a, a spread uh, that is on average a certain uh, uh, amount and then, you know, kind of play the deviations. Um, how do you go about sort of matching the longs with the shorts? Um Okay, so yeah, and you know, your classic pair of traders, Ford, GM, you could do your banks, you can do all kinds of different, you know, the home builders. One, you know, is just to group it all together, you know, would know which stocks trade with which. But what, I, what I've come to realize in 23 years of professional trading is that relationships evolve. And if you are quicker than the next guy to identify a new relationship, you can profit from that substantially. So, I mean, you know, there, there was even, you know, let's just take FRC because it's really had an impact not only on itself and the regional banks, but on a number of other stocks. And what we actually saw occurring um, about a month ago when, you know, you saw the regional banking crisis start to escalate, what we saw was people were flying out of regional banks and moving into safety trade. So you saw consumer staples benefit. You saw, and, and that's a common sense one. But what wasn't so much common sense was people fleeing from FRC and buying Microsoft. That was a new one. And I was like, Microsoft for about two weeks in the middle of March had an inverse correlation with the S&P. I've never seen that in 23 years. Here's a component that is almost, you know, 6% of the S&P moving the opposite to the S&P. Now it's, it's now come back and it's starting to correlate again. But it was so much a safety trade that when you saw the S&Ps and, you know, and other stocks going down because of the banks going down so hard, they were flying into Microsoft. So that was a relationship there that you can understand. The bots were doing that completely backwards because everybody believes you know, oh, the high-frequency traders are always ahead of you, even on the relationships are ahead of you. Well, they're not because they're programmed to do what they do. And there is arbitrage. And I mean, if you grab all 500 stocks, and you're doing all 500, you can make the money. But, you know, when you only grab one of the 500, it, even if it's 5%, it doesn't necessarily have to move with the market all the time. And there was a really good opportunity there in the last couple of weeks in March where Microsoft was actually doing well, and you had a lot of other securities not doing as well. So, I mean, there's different relationships that are always evolving to being able to identify those faster than other market participants is, you know, what I try to do. And, you know, a lot of traders, there's, you know, it's, everybody's got a different style. I've always want, uh, always been a turn trader as well. And what that is, is I'm not afraid to like see when the washout's happening, the capitulation event, where everybody says, look, I'm out, this stock sucks. I never want to trade stocks again. These are, you know, that's a capitulation event where I actually might be buying. So, you know, and there's different ways to identify turns. Not a lot of traders play the turns. Most traders read all these books, you know, and most of them, the strategies have evolved into momentum type strategies. You know, you buy strength, you short weakness, and, you know, the trend is your friend. That has not worked well in the last, you know, 12 to 18 months because we're in such a contrarian market. So contrarian strategies are actually working better in this environment than momentum strategies. Fading the breakouts has been working better than, you know, buying the breakouts. Fading the breakdowns has been working better than selling short the breakdowns. So, you know, just identifying those different market conditions 
and identifying different strategies. And, you know, the luxury that I have is I've been trading 23 years and I have a lot of different trading strategies in my toolbox. But, you know, if you're a newer listener, you may not have all those strategies, but it's important to, you know, continue to build that box up. And as you see something or as you see something new, you try to extract the alpha from that. And, you know, that's all I'm trying to do is extract, you know, a little, little alpha here and there. I'm never going in a trade for usually, you know, seven, eight, 10%. I'm entering trades for still fractions of a percent. But, you know, there's many inefficiencies at the open. There's many inefficiencies at the close, but more so at the open because sometimes, you know, the bots are just pricing certain things and they're not looking, you know, at intricate little details. Like, for instance, yesterday, for whatever reason, there was a big seller in Procter & Gamble at the open. We can see that, the opening imbalances. If you subscribe to the NYSC feed, you can see that. And the stock opened down a buck on a day where consumer staples were likely to be in favor. So, and, we're, and Coca-Cola had reported it was up, you know, as well, which is going to probably help that trade. So I was able to buy Procter & Gamble on the open and quickly flip it, you know, talking 30 seconds later for 30 or 40 cents. So, I mean, there's little opportunities like that, little inefficiencies to try to um, take advantage of. But, you know, my job as a trader isn't so much to identify patterns and charts. I use technicals. I, I use technicals to a certain extent to get a feel for what the overall market is doing. Or if I don't trade a stock, I want to know what it has done. I want to know if it's a strong stock or a weak stock. But I'm never looking at pattern formations or anything like that in the technicals. I'm looking at more as what is Dr. and Gamble's relationship to, you know, the market at this point in time. Right now, market is playing defense. So, you know, if the market's down. On any given day, Procter Gamble is likely to be higher, and in some instances, the market might, you know, Procter Gamble may open down significantly when the market is down. Well, if the market's down, it's likely to be higher. And if we look today, what is strong today? Healthcare, consumer staples, same thing, utilities. Those are the stocks that are stronger because the S and P is very weak. And in this market, money isn't flying out of stocks; it's more just rotating into different sectors. There's a, you know, there's a cycle for every single type of strategy. Um, and and focus on certain anomalies. Uh, you know, to your point, this has been a, a contrarian type of environment. So if you're going to be bullish and you know markets are strong at the open, you fade it, or vice versa. Um, as a trader, how do you identify when there's a regime shift? Though, um, presumably, you know, you're not necessarily doing the exact same types of trades in every single type of environment. No, and I mean it's it's knowing who the leaders of the current market are. So it was predictable. Last night, um, when FRC reported that the market would show some weakness because FRC was getting hit, 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 and it was predictable that banks were likely to be weak. Also, you know, anything that's, you know, some of these other stocks. But what really hit the market today wasn't so much FRC. It was UPS. That's what hit the market today. So last night, the market shows, shows some weakness, but then UPS came out this morning and UPS uh, you know, I can just go and actually read you right from the headline there in the Benzinga Pro. But if I go to UPS um, from the report, it wasn't the earnings that were bad. It was just what they were talking about. And they were talking about conditions in the macro environment um, starting to slow. So basically saying, hey, you know, we're going to be concerned with our guidance because we see the consumer starting to slow. That UPS, in which was only down, you know, seven or eight dollars this morning, is now down 18 dollars. And if we look at the spillover effects, well, they were logical. You know, you're seeing Amazon down significantly. You're seeing, obviously, FedEx. So if you're doing Paris trading, UPS, FedEx is going to be down, too, because UPS is down. But if you want to take it a step further, Amazon will move with, you know, those stocks to a certain extent. But then it spills over into all retail because if the consumer is slowing, well, hey, that's not good for Kohl's. 
That's not good for Nordstrom's. That's not good for the XRT. XRT opened at the high tick of the day. So if you were just playing that, hey, maybe UPS, what they're saying, maybe they know business pretty well. You would probably be short some of these stocks at the open or even, you know, this morning in the pre-market if you were able to get them on. So there's, you know, always opportunities and different opportunities. Um, so you can identify who the leader of the day is. Tonight, the leader is going to be obviously Microsoft and Google because they're reporting earnings. So you look to them for the leadership. And obviously, if they're showing weakness, that will spill over into the overall market. If they're showing strength, the opposite occurs. Knowing, you know, consumer staples sometimes move opposite. So you can't just short Procter & Gamble because Microsoft is down. You know, it actually could be a buyer of Procter & Gamble because Microsoft is down. But, you know, you have to identify who the leader of the day is. So the leader of today is UPS. The leader of tonight that's reported will be Microsoft and Google. Now, there could be somebody else that just comes out of the blue, says something. Maybe there's a warning. Maybe there's no somebody says something good. So, you know, you have to always adjust on the fly. But I'm a big um, I'm, I'm fan of, of you've got to have information, you know, and I have five different news sources. I have, you know, obviously CNBC on too, which always lags. But, you know, you've got to have various news sources uh, um, coming from all different places. I obviously use Benzinga Pro. I'm a big fan of Benzinga. I do a podcast with them, you know, um, eight, from 8 a.m. to 9 a.m. Monday through Friday. And I think Benzinga does a great job and they're a great bang for the buck. But I also have other news sources as well because, you know, what if, you know, they miss something, somebody else might pick something up. So, you know, there's a lot of people who believe, yeah, I don't need any news. You can just go to Twitter. I will tell you, if you're getting your news off Twitter, you will always be one step behind traders who aren't getting their news off of Twitter because people basically post on Twitter after they give it, get it from a real news source. So, um, you know, I can't afford to be one step behind. I'm in the trading business. If I wanted to, if you were going to a business and you were going to spend zero dollars, you know, um, you know, to, to, to you know, if you're going to go into a business, you're going to spend zero on marketing and you're going to zero on everything. And you're expecting to make money, it would be a tough business. Trading is the same. If you're coming in here and just thinking, I'm going to spend no money, but I'm going to be able to beat everybody who's spending the money, I think you're fooling yourself. So charts are great. Technicals are great. They help a little bit. They work very well in the absence of news. But charts are only one tool in your toolbox. And I think why the majority of retail traders fail is they're too reliant on charts and not respective to other things happening in the market, not respective to news flow not respective to relationships. I'll just finish with this. One of the worst sayings that I've heard people say is people who, you know, re read the news or read, you know, people who actually I screwed it up, but uh, people who are basically reading headlines, you know, end up like delivering the newspapers because they don't succeed as traders. I will tell you that, that is the dumbest advice that somebody can say. I've made and been successful in this 23 years because I focus on headlines. I gotta tell you, you don't you don't talk at all like a CFA charter holder, which is which I actually uh, enjoy. I mean, it's, I don't, um, bad thing. <laughs> well, no, it, it's like I mean, listen, I, I don't talk like a, I don't think I talk like a typical CFA charter holder either. Um, but but it's interesting, right? Because you know everything you're talking about is is sort of the antithesis of some of the stuff that's taught in the CFA curriculums. I'd argue. Um, Help me square that circle, the idea of, you know, you being a CFA charter holder, going through that rigorous process just like I did. Uh, how does yeah. that uh, uh, inform your, your worldview or your way of approaching trading, if at all? I think it helps me uh, to just have, like, understanding the big I, – I mean, it, it's, it's an advantage. Like, I, okay, so I did a business degree. That's an advantage in itself. I went through finance, economics. So I kind of understand the macro picture. And I think my CFA – 
uh, going through the CFA curriculum helps me to understand the macro impacts better. I mean, anybody can learn that stuff, but when you go through CFA curriculum, it's kind of embedded in, so you kind of get it all. And, you know, and not that I'm sitting here and reading balance sheets and analyzing cash flow and doing all that, but I'm still respected to understand those little things and understand, you know, just how everything is interconnected. So there is some benefits for sure, um, you know, to go through a CFA program to my trading. Do you need to be a CFA charter holder to be successful? Absolutely not. Most of the, the successful traders I know don't have a CFA charter. But I think it does help. Just it understands the whole big picture because what they kind of do is they teach a little bit of everything and it kind of gives you the big picture, I think. So, you know, I love CFA Institute. I've been involved with CFA Institute since I got my charter in, in 2002. I've been involved with them off and on for 21 years as a member of the Market, Capital Markets Policy Council and advocacy. Um, and I, I wrote for CFA Magazine for 10 years before I had kids and I got too busy to do it. Um, so, you know, I, I love the CFA Institute and I think they do a great job. Definitely not essential to my trading now. All right. So, again, I'm going to continue with this idea of market inefficiencies. Now, I had a phase in my life, in my career, where uh, every single week I was on the Social Science Research Network and I was reading, you know, white papers on market anomalies. And uh, some of those anomalies, you know, uh, still hold true today. Some of those papers that identified inefficiencies uh, turned out. Uh, if you try to follow them going forward, didn't really work so well. Either the anomaly got arbitraged, or maybe the original study wasn't wasn't done properly. Um, how do you go about finding and identifying new types of strategies, new types of anomalies, uh, and then more importantly, how do you have confidence uh, in those anomalies being uncovered? It's all grassroots. So I'll tell you, you you're very unlikely to read some holy grail strategy from a book. Because if it is a holy growth strategy, they're not publishing it in a book. So, I mean, you've got to get in there and you get down and dirty. It's screen time. You know, I think you can learn basic trading principles, some fantastic ones from books. I don't think you can learn core strategies from books. So I read zero books going forward because I honestly think I've, I read a lot of books to start. You know, I think if you're just starting, you absolutely have to read some good books. You know, I can do like reminiscence of a stock opera, all of the, you know, we know all, you know, the, the four or five, you know, it, it, there's lots of, you know, different books you can read to get the core fundamentals. But I don't believe that you can just, you know, read somebody else's strategies and, you know, implement those strategies exactly as they do and probably make money. Now, it, it may be a benefit to read different strategies and get an idea of what the crowd is doing and then maybe going against that. You know, what we see in certain environments, like it's very predictable that people are trying to buy breakouts. I mean, you know, you've read all these, you know, William O'Neill books, you know, on buying strength and selling weakness. And obviously that works very well in certain stocks. It works and there's always momentum stocks, but sometimes it's predictable. And, you know, we have, uh, we have Gil Morales on the show sometimes and he's excellent. Obviously, it was an understudy of William O'Neill. And Gil is a fan of like buying the breakdown. And selling short the breakout in this environment, because that's what we're in. And you see these failed breakdowns and failed breakouts much more often than you see the follow through. So you actually see what you often see is, you know, the stock will undercut. He calls the undercut and rally. And, you, you know, if you're just looking at charts, you often do see where a stock make a new low on the move. Everybody's like, that's it. I got to get out. They stop out. And then, boom, it starts going up. And you're like, what the hell happened? So, I mean, just fading those momentum traders in a contrarian environment is something to learn. So I'll take back what I originally said. I think you need to have core understanding of what the majority of the crowd is doing, and you do find that in books. 
but you just can't pick up a book and say, okay, well, this is how this guy do, does it. I'm going to do this same way. And it's one, the second problem is that we're all different. You know, there's not just an execution and you know, idea generation, you know, to trading. It's also psychology. It's trader psychology. I don't hold well. I'm, you know, because I've been such a short-term trader for so long, I know I'm not a great swing trader and I'm not a, I'm, uh, I'm not a great long-term investor either, but I know I'm a very good short-term trader. So, you know, I often joke that I seem to, you know, I'm pretty good at identifying turns. I often take the first meat, you know, I take the first bite off of the bone and I leave the meat for somebody else. And, you know, maybe I should adjust over the years, but, you know, I've been in this business 23 years, my only principal source of income for 23 years. So it works for me. But I mean, other traders, you know, don't want to, you know, try to catch that falling knife. They don't want to try to bounce in there. And I get that, you know, and, and sometimes you just have to stay away. But other times that's, you know, really, you know, where there's huge money made is in identifying those turns and being faster to identify them than the other person. Again, it goes to leadership. You know, I'm always looking at who's the leader of the day. So when I start my day, what is the story of the day and how is that going to affect the other stocks that I'm trading? So this morning coming in, I had written down FRC was going to be the story of the day. That quickly changed when UPS reported. And you could say, well, why do you pick GM? Or why don't you pick, you know, because it was like 100 companies that reported here this morning. Um, you know, if I'm just looking at GM, McDonald's, Xerox, Verizon, Spotify, Biogen, you know, why does UPS, why did you pick UPS as the leader of the day? Because UPS is tied into so much of what the consumer is doing. Not everybody's buying a car at once, but a lot of people are shopping online. A lot of people are buying different things. If UPS or FedEx start to slow, that is a direct impact to so many other stocks that are not only in the S&P, but in the mid caps and the retail. So it was predictable that retail and consumer led stocks, not consumer staples, but consumer, you know, discretionary, like looking, you know, like I said, Nike's down, Gap's down, Kohl's down. Um, you've got Deer down. You've got a lot of, you know, stuff that um, the airlines are down. A lot of that today is because of UPS. Um, I, I don't have an MBA, so it's difficult for me to comment on that. I have a business degree, just uh, and then I went straight to the CFA. So it's difficult for me to compare MBA to CFA. I think they're both good for different things. Um, obviously, I'm going to gravitate to CFA because that is what I went through. Um, I think if you're in the business of, I think obviously MBA is going to be general business where CFA is more focused on capital markets. So if you're looking at and being involved in the capital markets directly, as you know, if it's the stock market or bond market, I think CFA is probably more beneficiary in, in that regard. But um, difficult for me to compare because obviously I don't have an MBA. Um, I think, you know, just furthering your education is always a good idea. I mean, a lot of people think I'm just going to quit my job in 2020, become a day trader, and I'm going to live happily ever after. And I will tell you, the majority of traders still fail. And I think the reason they fail, there's two reasons. One is discipline, that they hold on to their losers too long, don't cut the losers, not admitting they're wrong. And then the second reason that they fail is that they don't adjust to their market environment. They are using strategies like, example, momentum strategies in a contrarian environment, not adding enough tools to the toolbox and too reliant on charts. So, but, you know, going back, I think if you want to be involved in the capital markets, I would lean towards the CFA. We'll be back after a quick break. 
Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. And I think also it's just good networking. I mean, I, I present the CFA chapters across the country, and I think, you know, there's a, there's a good community of fellow CFA charter holders, which, you know, if your objective is to grow in the business, I think that that's also a big plus. You don't have the same sort of dynamic with an MBA. Uh, go ahead, AS, if you want to do a follow-up. Yeah, I mean, CFA, the nice thing about doing the CFA is you can work full-time. Obviously, there's no opportunity cost. The MBA, you're embedded in school, so the MBA is going to obviously not only, you know, the, the direct cost of paying for the schooling involved with it, but obviously the opportunity cost of not being able to work. The nice thing is, you know, you start your job, if you're in the finance industry, um, you do the CFA while you're working at your job still as well. I think it's difficult to do an MBA. But, but you know, like I just think like when I was going to, I actually did write my GMAT and I considered um, going and doing my MBA. And, um, and this was after right after university, but then, you know, I decided to go this trading route. And I was going to try this for a bit. And eventually that failed. I was going to go and do my MBA and get a real job, basically. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm just here. And, um, yeah, this was uh, I, I kind of chose I kind of chose um, the CFA route. And I think I think costs involved in net the cost out. I think the CFA is obviously a lot cheaper to do. For whatever it's worth, there's a lot of interest in creating strategies that use AI to, you know, uh, outperform in an ETF wrapper. Some have been successful and show some interesting promise from a backtesting perspective. A lot of them don't, um, despite having access to all these supercomputers. So I don't know. I'm a little bit skeptical personally uh, that the AI as we see it now is going to uh, make it harder. Sorry, I had a call coming in. And make it harder to make, have traders. I, I did a, a space with uh, Ernest Chan, who's big on AI, and his whole point was that uh, the current iteration of AI is nowhere near uh, good enough to compete against uh, a really good human trader. That might change in several years. But keep in mind, I think you know the difference between AI for trading and AI for investing. I mean, if you're going to be a buy and hold investor, you know none of that really should ultimately matter too much uh, from a trading perspective, it might. Uh, does that make sense, Eric? Yeah, that makes sense. I, I'd love Thank to you, Michael. ask the question out to you, and sorry about that. I'm, I'm actually, so I was supposed to be home alone here today, and my kid's home sick. So it's one of those days where um, you got a kid at home sick, and I just had to deal with him for just a minute there. So I apologize for leaving you for, for 60 seconds there. Um, I did hear the question now, and I get this question a lot. And I've actually got this question over the course of the last 20 years, so before AI was a thing, just as, you know, high-frequency trading started to come involved, people are like, how do you stay, you know, how do you stay ahead of the bots? How do you not, you know, you know how do you compete with it? How do you compete, you know, how do you compete with, um, you know, a, 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 a robot, you know, a, an, an algorithm that is designed to trade and is going to be so much faster than you? And again, you've got to adapt to your environment. But what I kind of, you know, think is as AI which is going to be obviously much different than just, you know, writing a program and a program trading. 
um, as AI gets involved, I think it's going to make a lot of mistakes. I think as it comes into the market, there's going to be a period of time where AI actually, there's going to be some AI coming into this market that's going to be very bad at trading. So I actually think you could see more market inefficiencies come in when AI gets involved. I don't think you have a lot of AI involved yet. And in and 20 years from now, is AI just dominating the markets? Maybe. Um, maybe it puts all every human being out of a job. Maybe it gets that good. But as new things come in, like just think about even, you know, the whole Google thing, you know, with their AI program that we saw a month and a half ago when they were over in Europe and it gives the answer and it gave the wrong answer. Imagine AI trading the markets and giving the doing the wrong thing, like literally buying the stock, you know, that they shouldn't be buying or shorting the stock they shouldn't be selling. I mean, it's going to not just be like AI comes in and is the best trader ever. It is very difficult to create the human mind. And that is what AI is trying to do. So you've got a lot of very successful human traders. Many, you know, we've got, you know, 40 to 50 of them at Bray Trading, but you know, we're one firm. There's a lot of very successful traders on the screen time and understand the markets much better than a machine at this time. So I do think you're going to see. AI come in, I think it's actually going to create more market inefficiencies, at least initially. 20 years from now, maybe it's going to be a lot more efficient and maybe they're going to push a lot of us because they can think it all better than us. But, you know, screen time right now, obviously, you know, you become the master of something, you know, they often say it's it's 10,000 hours, you know, 2,000 hours in a year, five years, you can become the master of your trade. So, I mean, is AI going to need each AI program to need that kind of time to figure it out? I'm not sure. Maybe they're going to become the master of the trade much quicker. But I think um, people who are scared that AI is going to come in and just, you know, dominate the markets and no human beings can be able to make money. It's going to be the end of trading for retail traders and all that. I think it's very premature to uh, think that. Going back to what you said about how most retail traders fail, um, you'd think differently on Fintwit the last two years. Uh, with all these uh, uh, accounts talking about how they're killing it in the stock market and all these uh, YOLO traders that are showing their Lambos and all this stuff, especially in the crypto space. Um, I'm curious if you think that uh, the sheer amount of interest and attention around zero DTE, uh, if that actually accentuates the the failure rate even more. I mean, you know, day trading in and of itself is very difficult. Uh, Very few can be really good at it. Now you've got levered bets on that with zero DT and uh, you've got commission-free trading, which makes it easier to get in and out. I mean, do you think all this makes it even worse, those failure rates? I think the creation of a lot of these retail products are designed to make money for the people selling those products and not the people using those products. So I think, you know, where people are trying to play short-term options, I was even saying on our show this morning, the majority of traders make money, more money selling options than they do buying options. So, I mean, everybody, you know, wants to like, think about how much they push gambling. Like this is just go, go to the real world scenario. You watch a sporting event and all it is, is like DraftKings and it's like, you know, sports select or, you know, whatever, you know, there's so much sports interaction. There's so much advertising of gambling in our life. And gambling has always been involved in the stock market, but all of these newer products are created just for more gambling purposes. So people want to be able to buy lottery tickets and dream of getting rich. I'm going to you know, buy this short-term option for $0.03, cents and it's going to go to $30, and I'm going to retire on this. 
I mean, these are short-term lottery tickets. So, I mean, all of this has just been designed, you know, for to sell, you know, more products. And, you know, it, it it's typically, you know, a lot of this is just difficult to really use these tools and make money, you know, by buying short-term options. So, I mean, I, I, I think you've just got to be careful with which vehicles you're using, what tools you're using. And for the most part, it actually, a lot of this stuff that's created, actually, some of it can reduce volatility as you bring in more and more options It reduce volatility because people got positions, they got exposure, and then those go off the board and then it can release the ball. But um, I think just if you've got to be careful with a lot of these newer products that are coming in, you know, these ETFs, I mean, there's ETFs on ETFs. I mean, some of these things are very illiquid. So you can go in, I love that strategy. But then, you know, some of these ETF spreads are three, four, five percent to even get in the things. So they're not all like spot. So you just got to be careful with what you're trading. You got to understand those vehicles very well. What are some of the um, resources that you find um, most help and benefit retail traders? I mean, presumably there's a lot of noise, a lot of books uh, that sound good, but in practice really don't matter. There's going to be a few gems. What are some of the things that for you are, are important sources for retail traders to focus on? I think. I think that like if you were just starting, so maybe if you're just it depends where you are in your in your journey. But I mean, you've got to have a basic understanding of the bid and the ask. Like I've done, you know, it, it's amazing that there's a lot of traders out there that are just starting that don't even understand the basic concepts of level one. And they're already sending orders. They're just like, oh, I just buy it and sell it. You know, reading the quotes and understanding, you know, just, you know, the, the basics of, you know, of tape of tape reading the very basics you know like bid ask size just understand the basics and then you know like i i I dive into tape reading i think it's an art that you know too many people don't appreciate but it doesn't cost you you know if you're getting quotes you're getting you know it doesn't cost you that much to you know even you know just screen time but you know you look at the the time and sales and you look at the exchange and you look at where the trades are occurring and you know are they occurring on the offer are they occurring you know with finra which is you know uh, anything time you see finra trade reporting facility it's off exchange trading so you know how many how many retail traders are you know going through is this retail flow i mean understanding the very basics of this kind of stuff can be an edge but i think you know what too many traders too is just don't you know take the time to just basically understand you know, the economy and different stocks and how they're related to each other. So just for instance, I mean, think about it. It it sounds illogical that, you know, I could go and and short, you know, retail stocks this morning um, because UPS is down. It sounds just too simple. Like, why is it that simple? Like, why is it that, you know, UPS falls six, seven percent and all these retail stocks are going to fall in sympathy? Why is that lag there? Why didn't they go down immediately? Why did the XRT open up the highs of the day? Why does stock like Macy's or Kohl's, you know, open up, you know, only down 20, 30 cents and now it's down a buck 30 because people are scared of simplicity. They try to make it too difficult. So I've always been one, you know, some people call me the simplicity trader where it just go basic relationships, you know, where not Coke Pepsi or not for GM, but just understand that, hey, UPS, FedEx have a direct impact on all consumer stocks. Um, just understanding those basics, you know, start there. Like you can go read a book and, you know, and, and maybe, you know, you've got to understand some, some basics to trading. But I think the biggest benefit to my trading is just being respective of the headline flow and how those headlines, when you get a headline and everybody can get the UPS, you know, warned today, um, how that impacts other stocks. 
I think it might be a good place to wrap this Twitter space up. I've got another uh, space in 12 minutes. I need to prep for sure. folks here. Please make sure you follow uh, Dennis Dick on Twitter. Uh, Dennis, are, are any other places besides Benzinga that people can track some of your thoughts and some of your work? Yeah, so I do the pre-market prep show 8 to 9 with Benzinga every morning. We basically talk headline movers, um, the stocks of the day, the drivers of the day. You know, And that's what you really you know, need is those drivers of the day. It's why we designed the show because people didn't know how many places to start. That's why you start with us at 8 in the morning. We give you the drivers of the day. And we give you your thoughts on whether we think this risk-on, risk-off day. So that's the best place to see me. That's pre-market prep on, on Benzinga. And, um, you know, but we do other stuff on our website, premarketprep.com. We have some educational stuff there, educational stools, if you're interested in those. We have a few webinars that you can purchase at premarketprep.com. I've always wanted to write a book. I've just never found the time to do it. So one of these days I will get around to writing something on trading. But, yeah, best place to find me on Benzinger or premarketprep.com. Thank you, everyone, for joining. Hopefully I'll see you all in about 10 minutes. Uh, thank you, Dennis. Appreciate it. Michael, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. We'll talk soon. All right. Cheers, everybody. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.